Thank you for joining us. This is a very special Sunday. It's a special Sunday uh, as we're moving through a time in Judaism, as we're approaching Passover and, and special Judaistic holidays. We've got, of course, this is Palm Sunday in the Christian uh, faith, a, a, a special Sunday in the Christian church as well. And then it's also another Sunday, our fourth Sunday, to be doing this live via internet because of uh, the coronavirus. This is biblical study while living with coronavirus. Now, some people feel like time is flying these days. Um, Others feel stuck in time. I I saw this uh, uh, tweet. I thought it was pretty good. 30 days have September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31 except March, which has 8,000. Uh, that's akin to another tweet I saw. Does anyone know how long toilet paper will last if you freeze it? And then, of course, one of my favorites, I hope the weather's good tomorrow for my trip to Puerto Vallarta. I'm getting tired of Los Living Room. And I don't want to leave these tweets and memes without this. Saw my neighbor Tammy out early this morning, scraping the My Kid is a Terrific Student sticker off her minivan. Guess that first week of homeschooling didn't go so well. So shout out to my mom, Mimi, for sending us those and uh, enjoyed them. We are in the midst of trying to live with this COVID-19 beast that seems to be all-consuming. My suggestion has been a good thing to do right now is to have Bible study while we're living with the coronavirus pandemic. And so we take the scriptures and we go to it and we flee there for the sustenance and the knowledge and the edification that helps us through this process and crisis here in our world today. Now I want to tell you, when I was a young man, actually it's still true today as an old man, I had daughters. I had four daughters, and, and when they were young, they would, well, actually they learned quite quickly not to ask me to do this, but I tried on a few occasions to braid their hair. I got these directions on how to do it. You divide the hair into three strands, and then you start looping them one over the other over the other. It's not as easy as it looks. But I think about that because my goal today is to braid together three different strands of thought for this class. I want to look at the Jewish exile in Babylon. You say, I don't even know what that was. Don't worry. We'll start at ground zero and we'll build up to it. But I want to look at the Jewish exile in Babylon And then I want to braid it to a strand of thought in the Christian faith of today being Palm Sunday, a special day in the Christian calendar. And then the third and final strand that we'll braid together is our fight against this corona pandemic. And I want to see what happens when we braid these three thoughts together. So let's begin with the Jewish exile in Babylon. And to do that, we're going to go into Scripture. We're going to look in the Hebrew Old Testament. The, the, the Jews would call it the Tanakh uh, from the Torah, the Nevi'im, and, and the Ketuvim, the other writings. This is out of the Nevi'im section, the prophet section. 
So I want to talk to you about the prophet, the words, uh, the divri of uh, Yermayahu, Jeremiah. And we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29 comes from a time of the Hebrew exile in Babylon. So let's get this story straight and fill it out. Uh, God calls Abraham, the Jewish uh, uh, progenitor of, of all of Israel. Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to Jacob. Jacob gives birth to uh, a boatload. And, and the 12 tribes of Israel, they go into Egypt. They're in bondage in Egypt. After 400 or so years, God calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. They wander through the promised land for 40 years because they weren't faithful enough to conquer uh, uh, Canaan at the, the first opportunity God gave them. And God, in the midst of all of those wanderings, gives the people the Torah, the law. God uh, uh, gives them guidance through Moses. Moses then uh, uh, dies, and Joshua, Yehoshua, takes over as the leader of Israel. Israel goes in and conquers a good bit of the promised land, lives under the authority of judges, uh, uh, who are, in a sense, God's designated caretakers of the people. The Israelites didn't have a king. God was their king. Uh, so uh, at some point in time with all of this, the fights going on with the Philistines and others, Israel begs God for a king. God says, okay, but it's not going to be a good thing. God gives them their first king is Saul. They pick Saul out because he's real tall and handsome. Tall and handsome does not always make for a good king, however. And Saul was unfaithful to the Lord, and Saul's kingship was taken over by David. And David became the new king. David was a man after God's own heart. And so David ruled over a prosperous Israel. That uh, rulership passed to his son Solomon. Solomon ruled over a prosperous Israel. But upon Solomon's death... Israel divided into two, and Jeroboam and Rehoboam took different parts. One the northern kingdom, one the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom would be called Judah because most of the people, the population, were of the tribe of Judah. That's where the word Jewish comes from, from the tribe of Judah. The northern kingdom was called either Israel or was called Samaria because that was the capital city of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom ultimately got conquered by the Assyrians. Now, let's go to a map for a moment because that's going to help us. Here is a satellite view of the Middle East. And if we look at this from a satellite view, first of all, a couple of things are interesting. This is what's Saudi Arabia. This is Israel right up here. Here you see the Nile River, and that's Egypt. Here is Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia comes from uh, uh, two Greek words. Meso means in the midst, and potamos means uh, river. So that's in the midst or in the middle of the two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates. And if you see this satellite view, you'll see all of that greenery there. And that greenery extends around that river. And that greenery comes down and extends along the Nile. 
that area that I've colored there, maybe we make it a little red, is called the Fertile Crescent. I think that phrase was coined in the early 1900s because this is where there was water and this is where there was growth. This is also called the Cradle of Civilization. This is where farming began. This is where uh, uh, settled farming and agriculture. This is where irrigation first began. This is where writing first began. This is where the wheel was invented. This is where glass was invented. And the reason why isn't because that's only where there were people. There were people out here, but these were nomads who moved around place to place. In the lands that I've put here, these lands in the Fertile Crescent had available water and fertile soil. And so it was easy for communities to gather and people to farm and people to live for continuity. Now, that's one effect of this. But there was another effect. As soon as people start congregating and urbanizing and living together, they have to figure out how to relate to each other beyond simply a family unit. And that's the rise of government. That's the rise of, of civilization in a whole new way. And so if we go back to the map for a moment, what you see are the empires arose as governments and peoples started, in essence, coalescing. The Assyrian Empire arose here. This Assyrian Empire is what came and conquered the northern part of Israel, leaving only Judah, the Jews, the southern part of Israel. Now, Israel was in a unique place if you look at it. You've got a massive amount of life here along the Nile, and the Egyptian empire was a major empire. And then in the Euphrates and Tigris areas, this Mesopotamia, you've got a massive empire of Assyria, and then later a massive empire a little further southeast of Babylon. These major empires are always trying to take over the other ones historically. And there's a bridge that allows them to go fight each other. That bridge is Israel right there in the middle. So Israel was in a strategic position. And God said, Israel, if you will honor me and follow me and live by my word, you as that bridge will be an influence both ways. And you will expand the kingdom to the north and to the south, to Assyria, Babylon, and to Egypt. But God said, if you don't, if you don't follow my ways and you become like the other nations and you begin worshiping idols, etc., then I remove my protection from you and you will be subject to those nations. And that's what happened. So if we go back to the map for a moment, what happened is, after Assyria comes and conquers the northern kingdoms, you roll into the 580s, and in the 580s, Assyria's kind of died away because they've been taken on, let's use this color, by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians not only took over Assyria, but came down and conquered Israel as well. Conquered Judah specifically, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carted off the Jews back to Babylon and resettled them 
By resettling them, they stopped the Jews, they thought, from being a population that would concern them uh, in rebellion. And so they pulled the Jews back, and the Jews went all the way down to Babylon. That is the Babylonian captivity. That is the exile. So now you've got a massive number of the Jewish nation living apart from their temple, which has been destroyed. All of the temple sacrifices, the priestly system that went with that temple, and all of the nationality and all of of the history and all of the traditions they had. Their life was turned upside down. In this time period, God called a prophet to speak to them. His name was Jeremiah. And so God talked to Jeremiah and God said to Jeremiah, I want you to send a letter to the exiles. We're going to go to the scripture now. This letter is Jeremiah 29. And we're really going to start uh, in a little bit. I'm going to get my Galco highlighter here. Thank you, folks at Galco. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are the words of the letter. God gave these words to the prophet Jeremiah and told him to write them to the people. Let's look what God had to say to the exiles. It really starts in earnest in verse 4. The letter said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here are the words. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives. Have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray, important word, Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Thus says the Lord of hosts, don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they dream. It's a lie they're prophesying to you. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. And then, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. Again, that word prayer. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now that's an amazing word. That's an amazing word that God sent. I see we're coming in from this angle. That's an amazing word that God sent to the people. He said, don't worry about thinking you're going to leave immediately. Don't think this crisis is just automatically over. Recognize you're going to have to live through this crisis. And the interesting thing is, out of that 70 years that the Jews stayed in exile in Babylon, some amazing things happened. One, they developed a synagogue system of worship. Previously, all of the worship was at the temple in Jerusalem. But during this time period, they began to set up houses of worship that weren't centered around sacrifices, because you couldn't sacrifice except at the temple. And they began to set up opportunities to learn and to study and to embrace what God had told them to embrace generations earlier. I've got here a set of books that I pulled off my shelf. Uh, uh, This is called the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud is a a set of, of sayings. It's a set of Jewish wisdom. It's a set of Jewish interpretations and explanations of God's law. And it takes up a lot of volumes because it's what various rabbis have said over various times. It's called the Babylonian Talmud because it got its origin from the Jewish life in Babylon. There's a Jerusalem Talmud too, but it doesn't hold a candle to this in terms of size. What happened in Babylon is during the time of the exile, the teachings about the law were orally transmitted over and over to people. Eventually, it got written down because it got too bulky for anyone to keep the memory of it going. But you can read the Babylonian Talmud. Well, actually, most people are not going to be able to read the Babylonian Talmud. Let me give you a little little idea of what it looks like. Here. This is... uh, here, it gets even bigger. Let's see. There's a, there's a page of the Babylonian Talmud. Kind of crazy, huh? But what I want to do is look at an English section. I want to look at where it's been translated. So no panic yet, okay? None of you have to read this Hebrew, though some of you may be able to. But I want to do this with the following in mind. I want you to realize the development of synagogues And the development of the Babylonian Talmud all came about and God's good purposes for the people came about in the process of them being obedient and walking through an absolute life-upsetting mess. And so I take three messages out of this, this experience. 
These are my three messages from the Babylonian exile. Message number one, keep going. Those were people where Jeremiah wrote them and said, this is what God has to tell you. Keep going. Don't turn around. Don't live in the past. Don't worry about things. Just keep going. Make those your homes. Pray for where you're living. Uh, uh, give your sons and daughters in marriage, etc. With the assurance that God is at work. God knows the plans that he's got. God develops a synagogue system. God develops among his people a respect and appreciation for the law that's got them thinking and talking. And do you know one of the most significant things they talked about? The Messiah. Who is the Messiah going to be? How will we know the Messiah's coming? Because the people knew that God had been promising a Messiah from the very beginning. The people knew that God had promised a Messiah even as he was expelling Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And he told Eve that one of her offspring would crush the work that the serpent had done. And so we've got that. God is at work. Back to the PowerPoint for lesson number three. God brings good out of every bad situation. God is the ultimate go green. Let me show you something. I'm going to look at a Babylonian Talmud section. That I just uh, lost my page on. So maybe I'm not. Um, The Babylonian Talmud is tremendous for what it has to say about the Messiah. The Messiah is specifically mentioned as one in whom the lepers would find bandages. The Messiah is predicted to be one who is going to come riding into Jerusalem on a, on a, on, on a donkey, not on a horse. And that's a significant thing because if a king was riding into uh, a city and the king was coming in as a conquering king, that king who comes in would ride in on a horse. He would ride in with his army behind him. But if the city had, instead of being conquered, had voluntarily submitted, that king would ride in on a donkey. It was a showing of the king coming in peace. And that's what the prediction was of who the Messiah would be within the Babylonian Talmud. The people would be looking for someone who would be coming in on a donkey. And that brings us back to the PowerPoint, to the next braid, of strand of braid, and that is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is called Palm Sunday because when Jesus came into Jerusalem... As the Messiah, the Sunday before his crucifixion, 
the Sunday before Good Friday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, Jesus came in riding on the back of a donkey. Fulfilling not only the prophetic understanding of the rabbis, but fulfilling also the um, prophecy of Zechariah 9, who said, and that's, that's what the, the rabbis were interpreting as a messianic promise, that the king would come in riding on the back of a donkey. So we get this, and today we'll look at it from John chapter 12, the Gospel of John. And that gives us the story of Jesus coming in. John chapter 12 is what's called the triumphal entry. So the next day, this is after Jesus has, has uh, brought Lazarus back. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done with him. That's Palm Sunday. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. The people here he's coming, they'd love him to be king. They want him to be king for a number of reasons. Number one, kick out the Romans. Give Israel autonomy again. And who better to do it than Jesus? He can take five loaves and feed 5,000 people. If an army marches on his stomach, I'll follow the army where the food can be spread that thin. And if you get hurt in battle, this is the great physician. He can heal you. Heavens, he raised Lazarus from the dead. If I'm going into battle... I'd love to be well-fed. I'd love to have my general know the thoughts of the other side. I'd love him to be able to command the weather, still the storm or create the storm. I'd love him to be able to feed, no problemo. And I'd love to know if I get hurt or, heaven forbid, killed, he can take care of that too and restore my life. That's a king I'll follow all day long. That's the thought of the people. Jesus is coming in, this miraculous, great physician, wise, kind, wonderful man. And so they're taking palm branches and laying them down before him. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hoshanyadnu. Uh, it's an Aramaic expression and a Hebrew expression. It comes from a psalm. It means Please save us. Now they weren't thinking about an eternal salvation. They were thinking about life. Save us from all of this stuff going on. Save us from the Roman occupation. Save us from the poverty that we've got. Save us from sickness. But Jesus was focused on saving them in a way that they never imagined. Saving them from their sin. 
saving them from being isolated from God forever. Jesus was bent upon doing what needed to be done to save the people of God. And, and so Jesus comes in. Jesus was concerned about giving them peace with God, not peace with Rome. Earthly peace is a petty peace compared to peace with God. And Jesus brought peace with God. And so Jesus comes in. This is not a, a, going to be a good week for Jesus. This is going to be a week where Jesus is betrayed by one of his chosen ones for 30 chunks of metal. This is going to be a week where Jesus is challenged by the temple authorities, where Jesus is hauled before not just the Jewish rulers, but Pilate, the extension of Caesar himself into that community. Jesus is going to be abused. He's going to be kicked, ridiculed, scorned, physically attacked. Um, uh, What what he has to endure from a physical perspective is is, uh, stunning. What he's got to endure from a spiritual perspective is stunning. All of his friends and chosen ones, by and large, save a few, will abandon him. And ultimately, he's going to take the sin of humanity and let God layer that upon him as he pays the punishing price for it. Now, that's a tough week. And tough doesn't begin to describe it. But Jesus walked right through that week. And as we look at the week in front of us, we need to see that. So I take from this three lessons that I've put into the PowerPoint. Palm Sunday lessons, if you will. Lesson number one is the same as I took from the Babylonian exiles. Keep going. Jesus, knowing what was before him, knowing that his earthly existence would be drawing to a close, knowing all of the things he had to face and all of the sufferings and all of the persecutions, kept going. And he kept going because of lesson two. He knew God was at work. He knew that this was in the hands of the almighty God. He knew that by doing this, he would bring honor to his father. And so he walked obediently, trusting in my third point, that God brings good out of every bad and evil situation. If Jesus had not walked through that, we would not have Easter Sunday. If Jesus had not died, let me personalize this. I am not the kind of person I need to be to walk unencumbered with a holy and righteous God. God's not a God who's like more good than bad and all I got to do is be a little bit more good than bad and as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to be okay with him. God is pure. 
He's, he's the 100% on an exam. And he can't take me unto himself if I'm anything less than 100%. I'd be a 99.9%. I'd be diluting the purity of God to be with him. So God needs a pure, sinless people. How's that going to happen with me? It does not happen unless I have someone who says, I will take your sin on myself. I will pay the price for your sin and let you be clean. The lawyer in me loves this because God uses lawyer language. God will declare me not guilty because someone else took the guilt. That happened because Jesus was willing to walk through to the end and let God's work be done. He brings good out of bad. So if we go back to the PowerPoint, the third strand and the final strand is that strand of the corona pandemic. Here we are in America. As of yesterday, when I put this together, 309,000 corona cases, 8,441 have died. 14,741 have recovered. This fight against the corona pandemic is one that we're all experiencing that's changing our lives. And I've got three points to make out of it for us. And they're not going to surprise you because they're the same points I made out of the Babylonian exile, the same points I made out of Palm Sunday. I want to make out of the coronavirus. Number one, keep going. Keep going. Be smart, be intelligent, be careful, uh, but, but keep going because you can rest assured that God is at work and he knows the plans he has for you and he's able to bring good out of every bad situation. My friend uh, and uh, co-minister in, in the library efforts, Pastor David Fleming, put together some verses for us again this week. We had several hundred email last week and asked for his, his list of biblical promises. This week he said that he would put together a list of passages that show God at work. And he's done that, and I'm glad to email them to you if you would like, or David will. Um, but I've got about 16 pages of God at work here where David's put these together. Let me show you that, that uh, you can go through those, but I want to give you one example of, of a psalm that speaks to this. And this is from Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, God, in whose heart are the roads that lead to the presence of God to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, Baca, Baca is a Hebrew word that means tears, like crying. As they go through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs, something that gives life. I mean, these are the promises that we've got from God, how God is at work within us. And we can go through the valley of the shadow of death. 
and know that God is with us. Psalm 23 or Psalm 84, go through the valley of tears. Those tears become springs that give life. So if you're interested in those, all you got to do is email us. We're glad to send them to you. Info at LanierFoundation.org. Info at LanierFoundation.org. Also, uh, if you're interested on the YouTube channel that goes with us, Biblical Literacy, you'll find daily devotionals that we put up there. They're just three, four minutes long. But don't hesitate to go to YouTube and look for those. Now, I want to end with a prayer, but before I do, I got a special uh, treat for you. And it's something that I want to put out there uh, in, in honor of what's going on on the coronavirus because we've got a number of healthcare workers that are truly working past the point of exhaustion trying to take care of people. And if you've seen any of the stories and accounts on the news, it, it, you cannot help but be moved and respect and appreciate what they're doing. And so to uh, uh, provide us with a, a bit of, of a nice departure from this lesson, a good friend of mine, a good friend of our classes, Phil Keggy, uh, recorded a, a little, little song for us. It takes about one minute. Uh, I put the lyrics together. He performed it, did all of the instruments, etc. Here is our song, our anthem that we take with us this week if you're ready. Special shout out and thanks to Phil Keggy for that production. So that's biblical study while living with coronavirus week four. I want to close this with a word of prayer, but with it, I want to just encourage you that whether you're sick, whether you're afraid of being sick, whether you have isolated yourself on the top of a mountain so nothing can get you, uh, wherever you are and whatever's going on, if you've lost your job, if you're still working, but you're worried you might lose your job or you might get sick at your job, wherever you are, however your life has been upended by this, let's be smart, let's be careful, let's be diligent, but let's walk as people of faith, knowing that God is at work and that God will bring good out of even a bad situation. So I'll close this with a blessing. Father, we thank you so much for your love, your care, and your concern for us. Please help us understand on a personal level that you actually know each of our names and that you actually care for each of us 
And we can trust and rest in you right now and always. We pray in your name. Amen. See you guys next week.